0: All right, the rest of you, take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, hold a finger there. And in Acts chapter 13, you may not even have to turn the page depending on how your Bible's laid out. But Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13, we're just going to look at uh, verses 21 through 25 in Acts 11, 1 through 3 in Acts 13. We're talking about the church at Antioch. A few years ago, to begin the year, I challenged our church from the various churches of Acts. One of those churches was Antioch. A few years later, I want us to revisit now under this series the call and and what the church is called to be about. I want us to revisit this church at Antioch and ask the question, are we a missional church? The missional call on the church. Let's look at verse 21. It says, The Lord's hand was with them. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report went about them, uh, the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of heart. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. I want you to look over to chapter 13, verse 1. In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Theranian, Manian, and a close friend, Herod, Petrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering, to the Lord, in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. And after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Father, I pray that Trinity would be a church known more for sending than for how many we see. That we will always be a church that encourages and prepares people to be on mission for Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. You can be seated. Can you imagine if all the children got together when school started back in the fall, and they began to brag on a certain doctor that they all enjoyed going to visit? I don't know how many of you have kids that enjoy going to the doctor, Some kids enjoy going to the doctor as long as they don't get shots. So can you imagine the kids gather around and they say, hey, we like this doctor. Our parents have found the best pediatrician. I know kids don't talk about stuff like that at school, but suppose they did. We love this pediatrician because, you know what? He doesn't give you any shots as part of his policy. No shots. As a matter of fact, no medications. You never have to take anything. He doesn't even tell you you have to take your vitamins. There's nothing that you can do that the doctor would ever say is wrong. He approves all activity. You know, now they ask questions like, do you wear a helmet when you ride your bicycle? And I'm thinking, we used to build ramps that had no end in sight. We didn't know what a helmet was for a bicycle. Now they ask, do you wear your helmets? This doctor, this doctor doesn't ask that. He doesn't ask, ask if you wear your seatbelt, if you keep things safe, if you're eating right. This doctor's not going to, to do anything but tell you that, hey you're okay, you're doing great, you're growing fine, no need for shots, no need for medication, no need for anything. And if anyone ever judges your health, well, they're just being judgmental and critical. Or you would say, well, I don't want to take my kid to a doctor who's not going to tell me how they're really doing. I want to take my kid to a doctor that's going to help them grow and become uh, the adult one day that they were designed to be. But you know, the word that I'm hearing in our nation in our world today is that folks are looking for churches that will tell them, I'm okay, you're okay. There's no need for change. You don't need to take your medicine. You don't need to deal with anything in your life. It's just smiling, having a good time. Let's allow the pastor to make us feel good about ourselves, but not confront anything in our life that might need to change. The church at Antioch was not one of those churches. The church at Antioch saw that the world needed to change. The church at Antioch knew that the gospel was confrontational, but they were about the work of the gospel anyway. And they knew that they needed each other. They needed to encourage one another. They wanted to be a, a platform for the Gospel. You may not have had the 3,000 saved at one moment like the church in Jerusalem, but they were reaching people. Not only were they reaching people, they were discipling people. And don't get me wrong, I love those moments when revival hits. I love those moments when we see scores of people in in a short period of time come to faith in Jesus Christ because we want to be doing the work of an evangelist, reaching as many people with the Gospel as we possibly can, But at the same time, I pray that our church will be like the church at Antioch, that we will steadily grow and reach people on a daily basis, be about the work that God has called us to, reaching people and discipling people who will in turn go and make disciples. And when they leave the doors of this church, every Sunday, every Wednesday night, when they leave the doors of this church, they will go out to make a difference in their world. I love this church at Antioch. They would overcome some great persecution. Persecution like we've never known, but we might be getting closer to in our nation today. They would overcome criticism. And they would stay with the message of Jesus Christ no matter how they were challenged. How does the Scripture describe what's happening here at Antioch? Well, my prayer is the way the Scripture describes what's happening in Antioch will be the way Scripture would describe what is happening at Trinity Baptist Church. How do we describe what God's doing? How we want to see God work. What was this church? What was so significant about the church of Antioch? The first thing I noticed in this text was that the church at Antioch was a place of encounter. It was a place of encounter. They encountered the presence of the Lord when they gathered together. This, what the Scripture refers to as a local church. Now I'm all about the church, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ worldwide. But we need to keep in mind, 90% of the time, I believe it is, Brother Fred, that the Bible mentions church, it speaks of a local church. A local body of believers. And so we can say, well, I know that I'm saved, and I'm part of the church, I'm part of the family of God, but I want to encourage some of you even here this morning to realize that God calls people to a local church. To a local community of faith. A local body of believers. And that's who he's using and how he's working to impact his world. And that local church had become, in their corporate gathering, had become a place of encounter. In verse 21, we read a moment ago that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. And what did we see when we came to the church at Antioch? Look back at verse... 22 here in chapter 11. Not only was the hand of the Lord with them, but there was a report that reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to travel. What did Barnabas see? He arrived and he saw the grace of God. Now we want to hear about the grace of God, for by grace, Are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. So we know that we're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor, what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. But they didn't just hear of the grace of God. Barnabas didn't just hear of the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. Something was happening in the midst of their congregation where he could see that the hand of God was on the church and that God's grace, God was at work in such a way that it can only be explained by God was doing that. So many times in our churches today, we're trying to accomplish everything that we possibly can to the glory of man and everything that man can do. and We even get involved in ministries within the church and we begin to serve in our own strength. And God is calling us, as we looked at last week, the importance of saying, I need the Spirit of God to do in and through me what I could never do on my own. That's the grace of God that's at work in the church at Antioch. Was there a powerful preacher? Probably. But God's grace was manifest. He didn't say that Barnabas saw a powerful preacher. It doesn't say that Barnabas saw a dynamic student ministry. It doesn't say that there was a talented praise and worship band. So I'm grateful for people who are gifted musically, I'm just not one of them. It doesn't say that they had all the latest programs that they had learned from ministry paradigms in other locations. It said it was the grace of God that was all. In Trinity, all the things that we can learn As we look around the world at how God is working, if if we try to, and I know so many pastors, so many even close friends of mine who who try to go and see what's happening in a location and and try to draw up some ministry paradigm and say, if we can just take that, that ministry paradigm and stamp it on our church, then we will experience what they're experiencing. Listen, I believe God is saying to Trinity Baptist Church this morning, no, you're going to do what I've called you to do when you realize that it's by my strength, by my power, by my grace. So the grace of God, the hand of God was upon them. We can burn ourselves out trying to be somebody God hasn't called us to be. Psalm 20, 127, one says, "Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. Now I realize we're talking about the Old Covenant in the context of family there, but I believe there's something to be learned when it comes to the family of God. And that's unless the Lord's doing it, we're doing it in vain. The hand of God, the grace of God. This was a place of encounter where they would encounter the presence and the power of God when they gathered together in corporate worship, but it overflowed in their lives, I believe, as they went out day to day. The number one priority of the church is not to please or even relate to people. I realize that we have a responsibility to connect with the culture to make a difference. I know that God has called us to be salt and light in our community and in our world, but our first priority is not to relate and please people. Our first priority is a vertical relationship, not a horizontal relationship. Our first priority is our relationship with God. And our first responsibility as a church is to be sure that we bring glory to God. And as we begin to bring glory to God, as we were singing about a moment ago, then as we glorify God, and as we exalt Him, as we worship Him, as we minister to Him first, then His power and His grace can do in and around us what we could never do if we're trying to make it all work. Worship and prayer were two major components that helped them keep this place of encounter focused. Looking again at chapter 13 and verse 2, it says they ministered to the Lord. Now, when I read that, I find that a little bit strange at first. They, they ministered to the Lord. Well, was the Lord sick? No, remember the movie title, God's Not Dead? God's Not Even Sick, by the way. Did they minister to the Lord because somebody had hurt his feelings Well, we need to go minister to the Lord? This word ministry, or ministering there, in, in the Greek, letergo, it is where we get our word liturgy from. It simply means worship. Worship in the Old Testament was a dramatic activity that involved everybody. In New Testament times, we don't see so much that the style or anything else changed. We see that the object of the worship became more clear, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That's why we gather together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, is because Jesus rose from the grave on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, and He is to be the object of our worship. So, this word here, geo, it has to do with activity. It meant that all of the body were worshipers. People did not come and gather to watch a drama that took place. They were part of it. The people were not an audience for the preacher, for the musicians, for anybody who would be involved in leading others, the people themselves saw that they had an audience and that was God Himself. We come to please an audience of one. So all are to be participants. All are to be ministering. All are to be worshiping Him. Whether we're involved in drama or just the shout, the expression of an amen or a hallelujah, whether it's taking notes on a sermon, praying in agreement, giving in an offering, lifting our voices in praise. We are all to be active participants, not spectators when it comes to the concept of worship if we want this to be a place of encounter. All are to be ministry. The encounter does not point to us, but it points to Him. There's a lot of things that are going on in churches today. A a lot of controversy surrounding some of the things that take place in worship today. I want to share a a quote that I appreciated. I want to thank Greg Despain for this. I got it from him, but I thought it was great. Stephen Morales said, I don't care if your music is loud as long as your theology is louder. I don't care if your church is big as long as your view of God is bigger. Bigger. I don't care if your stage has bright lights, as long as your love for Christ is brighter. I don't care if you make a joke or two, as long as you're serious about the Gospel. Don't get upset about peripheral things. Get upset when the Gospel isn't being preached. Let's make Jesus Christ and His Gospel the center of everything that we do. The other part of our vertical, not just our worship, is our prayer. This was a praying church. Remember Acts, 40, uh, Acts 4 and verse 31? It says when they had assembled and prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They began as a result of that to speak the Word of God boldly. So many of us are, are, are not as bold as we should be in our workplaces and in our schools and in our communities because we aren't having an encounter with God. In chapter 13, you, you look back and you see that they were involved in prayer and fasting. And it's in the context of prayer and fasting that God is doing something we'll talk about in a moment. It's not just in, in, in planned liturgy either that we, we say, well, it's that word, we just got to get our liturgy. And I, don't know, I believe there was a, a work of the Holy Spirit, there was a spontaneous response to that at many times where people sense the call of God on their lives because the church was praying, they were fasting, they were worshiping, because they had the vertical right, because they were encountering God. That is true corporately and it should continue privately. If you're a person of prayer and devotion and spending time in the Word of God and worshiping and serving Him, then out of the overflow of that will come so many more opportunities for you to be on mission for Him. Missions evangelism, the church going out and making a difference in the world, it is an obligation. We have a great commission. But it is more fruitful when we do it out of the overflow, not just out of obligation. When we do it out of the overflow of what God is doing in our life. Because we're walking with God. We're worshiping Him. We're encountering Him. We become like that woman at the well who went, remember she she had had five previous marriages that didn't work out and she was living with a man at the time who was not her husband, and Jesus met her right where she was, offered her living water that changed her life. He didn't have to say, now you go back to your community and turn it upside down with the Gospel. She couldn't help herself. She had living water on the inside of her that was overflowing to eternal life, and she couldn't help but go tell everybody else what Jesus had done for her. And that's why we need for this church to be like the church at Antioch and be a place of encounter where we encounter the presence and the power of God through worship and prayer and seeking His face, through the Word of God, the Gospel, that's changing our lives, and out of the overflow of what God is doing, we're making a difference in the world. It's a joy to hear when we have a team come back from western North Carolina that, that was unified and together and worshiping and seeking the Lord. And when they went out on mission, it was the overflow of what God was doing in their hearts. Next, I want you to see that they were. this was not only a place of encounter, but it was a people of encouragement. The church was gathered in a place, but the church was not and is not that place. Trinity Baptist Church is not the facilities. Trinity Baptist Church is you and me, those of us who make up the body of Christ. They were a people that were encouraging one another. Church family, the family of God. In verse 23, back to chapter 11 with me. I know we're going back from 11 to 13 here. Chapter 11, verse 23. What did Barnabas come for? He came, we remember that's what his name is all about. He is an encourager, but he came to encourage them. As a result of him coming to encourage them, they became focused on blessing others. In verse 27. Of chapter eleven, I didn't read this a moment ago, so look at this one. It says, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up, predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius, so each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas comes to encourage the church. They receive encouragement from the church. This church, though it was a local body, they saw the big picture and they said, we want to be a blessing to the churches in Judea. That's why we want to be a blessing to the walls and others who are serving around the world. Because we want to be kingdom first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's not about building a a local kingdom. The local church is part of the kingdom that we're investing in. If we make it all about ourselves, we'll miss out. As a matter of fact, going back to the encounter, if we make it all about ourselves, we will miss out. Friday after the kids got back from the mission trip, Tina and I and the kids all got together It's been a long week. We're tired and we decide, you know, we're going out to eat. We're going to make this easy tonight. We're just going out to eat. So we went to one of our favorite places. We don't go that often, but we went to IHOP. IHOP. You can tell I've been to IHOP probably too many times. But we went to IHOP. And I noticed that our waitress never complained. She never complained. Our waitress never came to the table and said, you know what? The food's too cold. The food was actually pretty good. (laughs) But she never came and she said, you know, the food's too cold. She didn't even uh, complain about that 80s music that they had playing. Kind of went along with my teenage years. 80s were not a a great era for music, I don't guess. uh, She didn't complain about the music. She didn't complain about the the food she didn't complain about the service in that place so many things that were going on around us she didn't complain about our being there she just said hey can i help you can i get you something every time we asked for something she came back with two words i thought she was australian she said no worries no worries no worries she she just continued to to serve us with a smile Got a pretty good tip as a result of that. Well, we try to leave a good tip no matter what the service is like, but she deserved a good one. And I thought, you know, in a restaurant like that, it's only the people who are customers that typically complain, right? It's someone, it, it, you say, would it be absurd for the waitress to be complaining about all those kind of things? It's the customers who come in. It's those who come in and they, they say, I want to be fed a good meal. I want the atmosphere to be comfortable. I don't want it to be too hot. I don't want it to be too cold. I want the music to, to be of a genre that I can listen to. It's the customers that complain. Listen, church is the same way. Those who come to serve complain the least. Those who come into the, the, the house of God, those who come to the body of Christ, when they say, you know what? We want to be a people of encouragement. We want to bless those around us. We want to roll up our sleeves and ask, what can we do to help? Those are the ones who never complain. In a church, and I'm not hearing complaints by the way, it's a great time to preach a message like this because none of you have complained. But in so many places, it's not like this. And the people who are complaining, well, that was a poor sermon. That was poor music. I don't... Appreciate how it was too quiet, it was too loud, it was the atmosphere didn't feel just right. it be 120 degrees, right? Those are the ones who need to begin to serve and say, you know what, I'm not coming as a customer anymore. I'm coming as an encourager, I'm coming as a servant. And we'll begin to do what Psalm 100 says and serve the Lord with gladness. They were a people of encouragement. And then finally, I want you to see as the overflow began to occur, there was a passion for evangelism. A passion for evangelism. Again, looking back at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ in that context. And then the, the, verse 24, the Spirit-filled encouragement had established an environment for evangelism that's why we want to be sure that church is a place of encounter where we're truly meeting with God and it's a place of encouragement where we're receiving a word from God and we're all serving and in that context the overflow becomes evangelism people are hearing the good news when you're focused on worship and exalting Christ and celebrating the presence of the living Lord and encouraging one another guess what happens we begin to say you know I'm going to invite my friends to be a part of this this is exciting I like to see what God is doing. I can't wait to see what He's doing. The hand of the God is upon this place. I see the grace of God in this place. I want others to experience that. When those things are taking place, then out of the overflow, people begin to get exposed to the gospel and come to faith in Christ. Evangelism doesn't end though with making converts. It's about the Great Commission, which says, Go into all nations and make disciples. Not just converts, disciples. People who will multiply themselves and make a difference in their world. They they, they were truly Christ followers. Going back to those verses. 25. Went to Tarsus to search for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. Paul went to school, didn't he? For a whole year they met with the church And taught large numbers. They didn't just see large numbers of conversions. They taught large numbers the Word of God. And disciples were first called Christians. Christ ones. Christ followers. Little Christ. They were first called Christians where? In Antioch. Because Antioch, yes, they were serious about an encounter with God. They were serious about encouraging one another. But they were teaching the Word of God, and they were making disciples. And that's why we want you to be under the Word of God. We don't want you to neglect coming together with the body of Christ as Hebrews warns against. That's why we want you to get involved in a small group, a discipleship group, in a life group. That's why we want you to come back for Awana and other ministries like that with your children, so that we're not just about the numbers, we're about disciple-making and as a result of making disciples, then the church is not known by how many it seats, but by how many it sends as we send people out in the world to make a difference. They were a sending church. They were learning, they were growing, they were becoming disciples, and then they were going out to make a difference in their world. We had a few folks that recently graduated. What do they call a graduation service? Notice it. it's not a conclusion. It's a commencement, right? It's a commencement. Graduation isn't the end of something. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm not going back to that high school ever. The ones who say that end up being teachers. Be careful. It's not a conclusion. It's a commencement. You've come to a place where you're ready to be sent out, to be launched out, to make a difference in the world. And that's what was happening with these disciples. They were coming to faith in Christ. They were growing large numbers of them were being schooled into faith. To grow in His grace and in His knowledge. And then sent out. It wasn't about, okay, well, you know, we're just we're one of those teaching churches and, and folks, I'll tell you, I get just as excited to see somebody taking notes or sharing with me their sermon notes as I do hearing an amen. Because you're, you're saying, I want to take this seriously. I want to journal. I want to write down what I'm hearing. I want to grow in the Word of God. I want to understand it better. I want it to make a difference in my life. But listen, if we stay gathered for that sake, and we don't become a sending church like the church at Antioch became, then we're missing the point. Chapter 13, verse 3. After they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. They sent them out. They had a passion for evangelism, so they were making disciples, but they were sending these disciples out. I think yesterday was the big touch-a-truck day in Danielsville, wasn't it? We've got some volunteer firefighters here this morning. Pastor Ben used to uh, work full-time as a firefighter before God called him to fight a different kind of fire, right? Can you imagine a fire station that had all the latest, greatest equipment, Kevin or Andy, some of you guys that have served in uh, Harley and volunteer firefighters. Can you imagine having all the latest, greatest equipment you have good meetings so that the morale is strong and the encouragement is there. Everybody's well trained, so you gather together for training and you learn. But nobody at the fire station was ever, ever willing to go out on a call. You'd say, We got great equipment. We're well trained. We got it all together. But then the call comes, I'm not going. Are you going? I'm not going. Are you going? So listen, the point of all of this making disciples staying in the Word of God isn't just. For us to soak it all up here. It's for us to allow God to transform our lives from the inside out so that we can always, everywhere, be on call, have our radios attuned to the Spirit of God so that when we have opportunities, we're ready to share the Gospel. And there are opportunities all around us. The fields are white under harvest. Let's not forget what we're here for. We're all called... But there should be a sense of commissioning for everyone. At Antioch, they were about ready to send out this great missionary team that would begin to turn the world upside down with the Gospel. See, God's got a call on all of our lives. Sometimes it's vocational and full-time in ministry and missions. And I believe with all my heart that there's somebody that's going to take the place of people like Fred Wall. Somebody here is going to be a missionary to Haiti. Somebody's going to be a missionary to the uttermost parts of the world. But all of us are called somewhere to be on mission for Christ when we leave this place. To be bringing other people to Him. Where's God calling you? We've got all the equipment. We've got the Word of God. We've got the Bible on our iPhones now. We can pull up podcasts of all the greatest preachers in the world. When I was in seminary, things that we had to go to a library and get an outdated VHS tape to to, to see and experience. You guys pull it right up on YouTube. We've got the equipment. We've got the Word of God. We've got the Spirit of God. Final question is, okay, are we going to respond To the call, do you have a passion for evangelism? People around you that don't know Jesus, do you care? And if you care, what's your response? Would you bow your heads with me?